Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius, because there will be a world without us. Welcome to Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a comedy podcast about death, where me and my brother John, we answer your questions and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon and also give you dubious advice. I forgot that part. How you doing, John? So, Hank, the big news uh, is that I do not yet know the big news because the we are recording this podcast in advance. And the big news is, of course, what happened in AFC Wimbledon's playoff semifinals, which I don't know yet, but I'm going to uh, come to you from the future and record uh, a little bit at the end of the podcast that lets you know what happened. So there will be news from AFC Wimbledon, but there won't be any news from Mars this week. Is that right? That is correct. I will not be, unless unless there's some really juicy Mars news, which you never know. Uh, but if they find life on Mars, I will I will call in and add my additional news from Mars. Okay, that sounds great. Well, in the meantime, <laughs> uh, we will we will move uh, forward in whatever way we can. Um, as this podcast comes out, I will probably be on tour. So I, hopefully, am also doing well. I hope so. I hope so. Um, do you want a short poem for the day? It's a very short poem. It was sent in by an anonymous uh, listener, actually. Oh, interesting. Here it is. Ready? It's just a couplet. Uh, two lines of iambic pentameter. The daffodil knows more of spring than I will ever know of anything. Ah. Hmm. Interesting. Not bad, right? I like it. I don't know that I agree. Uh, I don't know. I think the daffodil knows a lot about spring. I think that you may know more about everything than the daffodil knows about anything. <laughs> well, yes, that, that's probably literally true. Uh, <laughs> It is, that I is, that's a good point. It's a good point. I feel as if I've embarrassed my family <laughs> with that comment. Um, I feel like I feel like Neil deGrasse Tyson tweeting right now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, can we just move on to some questions from our listeners? Okay. <laughs> I've got a good first question. It comes from Valerie, who writes, "Dear John and Hank, I have sent many questions in, although none have been answered. Oh, my goodness. Do you know any other good places to seek dubious advice? Well, I hope that we're not the only place to seek advice in the world. Um, 
especially because we do get so many questions that we cannot answer just due to the volume of them. We could do an episode of Dear Hank and John every day. We are very lucky in that respect. We have lots of good questions. Too many, so many that even if you send in one every week, we probably won't. Like there's there's a an, a a greater than average chance that we will never answer your question. So I apologize to all people like Valerie. And second, John, do you have any any thoughts on this? Well, sure. I go to I I, I go to like Dear Abby for dubious advice. Uh, you know, there's Dan Savage. Uh, if you have dubious, if you need dubious advice about uh, love or sex, there's. Uh, I mean, I feel like the entire internet is essentially made out of advice. Yahoo Answers. Um, <laughs> it's a great place to get very dubious advice. Uh, I sometimes indeed. like to go to like the WebMD forums um, when I have oh, like perfect. a question about yes, whether excellent. I have a hernia. Uh-huh. Because the advice there is exceptionally dubious. Uh, well, yes, I would say that uh, Google is probably your number one place to go for, for dubious advice. Just type your question in and let the algorithm decide. Um, and, uh, and also maybe uh, people in your life are also a good place to go for advice. I like to ask, uh, or, or at least if, even if it's not advice, just say the problem to people who I know so that they will have heard it. And maybe they will say something useful, and maybe they will not. But at least it will be not just inside of me. Yeah, sure. So uh, to summarize, first, Google your question. Then ask Mm -hmm. people you love. And then finally, go to Yahoo Answers. (laughs) And fourth, send us an email, which we probably won't respond to, uh, except when you ask, why aren't you responding to my email? We'll respond to that one, apparently. I've got another question, John. Oh, sorry, Valerie. It's from Miriam. Who asks a really important life-changing, universe-altering question: Baron Stain Bears or Baron Steen Bears? John, I spent an embarrassingly long time looking up this, but what? Tell me what you think. Well, uh, I always say Baron Steen Bears. Uh, I don't know if that's correct. I know that it's spelled with an A, but I've always pronounced it with an E because that's the way I've heard it pronounced. What is correct? Um. I think that we were raised in a Berenstein Bears household. That's just what my parents, what our parents did. Uh, but it yeah. is indeed the Berenstein Bears, and it has always been the wow. Berenstein Bears. And wow. Th- either one of two things. Uh, well, three things. I've read a lot about this on the internet. It's, it's either that we are really bad at spelling and reading, and we just see what we expect to see, or... There's a massive conspiracy that has lots of tendrils that go far deeper than just the name of this children's book. Or we, it, this is proof of parallel universes that we sometimes slip in and out of. And that there is this very prevalent parallel universe that, uh, in, in which the name of these books is the Berenstein Bears, not the Berenstain Bears. And, uh, and, and, we constantly, in, in fact, waver between those two universes, and it just happens to be that those are the two most probable universes, um, and they are ex- both extraordinarily probable, but this one difference uh, has has uh, roughly equal probability. <laughs> yeah. Other than that, they're identical. You're proposing that, that Donald <laughs> Trump is the, the presumptive Republican nominee in, in both the world of the Berenstain Bears Apparently, and the world yes. of the Berenstain uh, Bears. Which, which it, it occurs to me, by the way, that lots and lots of people have no idea 
who or what the Bernstein or Bernstein bears are. <laughs> they are a uh, family of bears that are popular in Americans children's uh, in American children's literature, and uh, I, I believe there's also been some television programs yes, about indeed. them. Actually, I have to say the books hold up pretty well. Yeah, you've, you've read uh, them. I read them to Henry. Mm. Uh, now I know to pronounce uh, Bernstein correctly. Um, but uh, I am—I have to say, of the things that I could be worried about, uh, this is not really one of them. So let's move on to another question. Deep, deep agreement. This question is from Jesus, who writes, My name is Jesus. Hank, this guy might be the new Ryan. I'm 19 years old, and I live in Los Angeles. Uh, my mom moved from Mexico to Los Angeles about 11 years ago. I'm an immigrant, but feel like I will never be able to call this my home because of the way immigration policy is set up, and the hope for reform is dim. What are your thoughts on immigration and possible reform? I know this question might be hard to answer, uh, so if you'd rather answer this, how likely is it for the next president to not renew President Obama's so-called Dreamers Act, uh, through which uh, children who were brought to the United States um, as undocumented immigrants uh, are allowed to uh, stay here legally? That's a kind of a quick summary of the Dreamers Act. Um so the answer to that question is, I think uh, the next president will renew the Dreamers Act. I also think that there will be comprehensive immigration reform in the United States in the next few years because we desperately, desperately need it. It is uh, unconscionable uh, to me that we haven't passed comprehensive immigration reform. We have a deeply broken immigration system that results in you know, many, many people being separated from their families, people being uh, deported to countries that they never really lived in because uh, they moved here when they were two or three years old. There's just so many examples of how uh, broken our immigration system is. Uh, I really believe that our next president and our next Congress will do something about it. Um, uh, but I also don't think that our next president will be Donald Trump. If Donald Trump is our next president, uh, obviously, uh, really everything is up for grabs. I have no idea what the U.S. will look like in that situation. Um, but I'm really sorry that um, that you feel like the United States can't be your home uh, because we need it to be your home. It's not just good for you. It's, it's good for uh, all Americans. Uh, immigration is an incredibly important part of how the United States uh, has grown over the last especially 150 years, and it's an incredibly important part of how the United States is going to grow, uh, both economically, culturally, uh, in terms of political engagement. Uh, it's, it's an incredibly important part of our growth uh, when I look forward to the next hundred years. So, um, I, you know, I, I really hope for a future in which uh, you can call yourself an American, because I think that is the future that we want to be in as a country. I think it is a better, stronger country uh, for all of us if that happens. And I'm I'm sorry that it hasn't. Yes, John, I, I agree. You have covered that very well. And I want Jesus to know that I certainly feel like he is an American and an important part of what makes, uh, what makes this country this country. Um, I've got another question, John. 
this question is from Susie, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I love to listen to your podcast during my commute. Often my bus is busy and I end up sitting in a row next to a stranger. As the bus empties out and an empty row becomes available, should I move to the empty row, giving myself and my fellow passenger more space, or should I stay in my seat to avoid giving the impression that I desperately want to get away from the person next to me? This is a great question, Susie. This is one of the great deep questions of being a person on this earth in the 21st century. You know, this has happened to me on airplanes as well, where I'm sitting next to a person and then right across from us, there is an empty row. And I'm like, I mean, I'm going to leave. I'm going to go. Like, it's a long flight and neither of us want to be sitting next to a person. And like, in moving, I give us both space. And unless I want to have some kind of relationship with this person... I think that everyone appreciates that. On the other hand, I do always feel a bit abandoned when someone does that. I think to myself, is there something so wrong with me that you don't want to sit next to me? I know that's not rational, but I do think it. So I understand Susie's concern here. I This is a... Yeah, I do. I do understand the concern as well. And this, what I'm about to say, is a completely different situation. But I wanted to talk about it. I was in a movie theater recently seeing Captain America... And uh, during the previews, there were some guys behind me, and they were talking, and they seemed like the ki- like they had loud voices, and it seemed almost like they wanted me to hear what they were saying because they wanted me to know how clever their jokes were. And there was there was even some smacking of the popcorn bucket, which I didn't understand. But there was lots of popcorn bucket smacking, and I was like, "What are you? What is happening?" And so I decided I. I'm not going to risk it that these guys are going to be talkers and that I'm going to be sitting right next to popcorn smacking the entire movie. And I just got up and I was like, Catherine, let's go to another seat. And we moved. And and it was a less good seat. It wasn't a terrible seat. But I just, I thought that I'm going to take my destiny into my own hands here and say, hey, I, let's just, let's just not risk it. And I don't care if I'm going to hurt these guys' feelings by leaving their jokes behind. I'm going to go sit in a quieter place. Is that the whole story? That's the whole story, yes. That might have been the oldest person's story you've ever told, Hank. Like, (laughs) while you were telling that story, I think you aged 45 years. But in summary, Susie, uh, that was a really, for me, that was a real old man yells at cloud moment. Anyway, um, to summarize, Susie, uh, I think that we should just collectively decide that when there is an empty row, If you would be more comfortable, it is not about the person you're sitting next to. Or if it is, it's about wanting to make their life better as well. So let's just all embrace the idea that we are going to seek that open row when it is available to us. uh, And we're going to celebrate the space that it gives us and that it's not uh, in any way a negative reflection of the person you were sitting next to, but instead a positive reflection of how great it is to be in your own row. It's good. It's good. It's good. You got another question for us, John? I do. This one comes from Amy, who writes, Dear John and Hank, my boyfriend Matthew and I have been dating for almost two years now, and so far everything has been wonderful with the exception of one issue. Matthew knows I'm a huge fan of your work, including the podcast. There's even a possibility he himself may become a nerd fighter someday. Our biggest issue to date has been my Pizza John t-shirt. For those who aren't aware, there's a t-shirt available now at dftba.com featuring my face with a mustache, (laughs) uh, and then beneath it is the word pizza. Why does this exist? It's extremely complicated. I, I... 
I don't even know why it exists at this point, but it's a thing. Anyway, Matthew says it's hard for him to kiss me or hold me. Matthew says it's hard for him to kiss me or hold me when I wear the Pizza John shirt because there's a large mustachioed man staring down at him, along with a stereotypically American food item printed beneath it. He says it just ruins the mood. Is Pizza John inherently unsexy? Do you have any dubious advice on how Matthew and I can continue to thrive in our relationship (laughs) without having to compromise my Pizza John shirt? First off, Amy, let me congratulate you on your priorities. Yeah. Um, Second, did you just ask the question, is Pizza John inherently unsexy? As if there is an option in which Pizza John is not inherently unsexy. Of course, Pizza John is inherently unsexy. <laughs> I don't think I don't think Pizza John is unsexy. I think there's something very romantic about being like, well, what's between me and my beloved? Oh, it's a middle-aged man <laughs> with a mustache and the word pizza. I, 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 Amy, legitimately have had this problem before, where uh, Ka- Catherine is like, nope. Nope, not with that shirt on. <laughs> uh, it may be a little different because it's it's uh, her actual brother-in-law, but uh, yeah, Pizza John <laughs> yeah, is, I was gonna say is yeah, indeed I, inherently. I'm with Catherine on that one. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I yes, I think I think that this may be an excellent opportunity to change into something more comfortable. Yeah, you know what I would say. Uh, to be honest. Amy, I would say that there are so many great t-shirts available right now at dftba.com that don't have my face on them. <laughs> and I would, I, would con- I would ask you to consider maybe purchasing one of those or many of them. Um, but I will say that, uh, that Pizza John, though inherently unsexy, it is completely on, in, inside of the boundaries for cuddling. And I, if anybody feels like Pizza John should not be cuddled, then they... It, the problem is with them, not with your shirt. I just n- now you're making me think about all the places my face has been, which is something I'd rather not consider. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> all right, John. I've got a, a question here from Jared. I like this question. My youngest sister is getting married for the second time. Uh, for the first marriage, my wife and I were very generous with a wedding gift when we didn't have a lot of money. For her second wedding, my sister has created a wedding registry and is making very unsubtle hints to my family about what she really wants off of it. My family has mentioned to my sister that she's already gotten a wedding gift from all of us, but that has not deterred her from hinting at more gifts. My question is, is it appropriate to not get a gift for a sister for her second wedding? Am I being cheap? Is taking a stand on this matter courting familial disaster? Thank you for your dubious advice. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's two questions here. There's should I court familiar, familial dis- disaster? And there's, uh, and there's what is the etiquette? And the question is, does, does it make sense to you for the etiquette to, uh, to interrupt and to create familial disaster? Uh, so... Yeah, I mean, for me, like... Uh Avoiding familial disaster is worth more than a gravy boat. Um, yes. So I would buy the gravy boat. Uh, I'm, but I'm not one to stand on my principles, as we've talked about in the past on the podcast. Um, <laughs> I'm the kind of person uh, who will uh, who will sell out his principles in, in a second just to avoid uh, unnecessary conflict. Yeah, well, I, and I think like this is kind of a situation where that's probably the thing to do. Um, you don't want to be like, okay, like send them an article from a website and being like, here's the actual etiquette of second wedding gifts. Uh, don't do that. 
because clearly uh, this is a person who is important in your life and she wants support in the way that she wants support. And that uh, for her is apparently has to do with gifts off of her wedding registry. If you want to make a stand uh, for second wedding gift etiquette, uh, then you could let her know what the proper etiquette is, which is that wedding gifts are about usually helping someone get a good start on life, and that's not necessarily something you're supposed to get twice, and many people don't even get it once. But let's be honest, uh, is that more important to you than, you know, like supporting your sister in the way she wants to be supported? If it's a financial issue, then you should let her know that it's a financial issue, and hopefully she would understand that. I mean, is that really the etiquette of wedding gifts, though? Like, isn't it more about uh, celebrating the... The marriage. I mean, I think there's two reasons to get a wedding gift. One is to, you know, otherwise you don't. The the idea is, I guess, that like once upon a time, people didn't have silverware, right? Uh, when they got married, and so you would get them silverware so that so that when they moved out of their parents' house, they would have their own silverware or whatever. But that doesn't seem to me most of the time why we actually get wedding gifts these days. We get them to celebrate. Um, people's weddings uh uh i agree I, that I it's awkward it is... i have i i will tell i will tell you there have been a few second weddings where i have been not that thrilled about the uh about about sending the second wedding present um so i'm sympathetic but i just think that this is a moment to avoid this is a moment to avoid courting familial disaster i i completely agree but i i do think that wedding gifts and and in general, wedding like the idea of a wedding registry where you ask for things to 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 help build your new life, like that's re- that's what it's about. And and also like that is certainly a valid thing for a second marriage. And there are lots of reasons why that might be, be useful. And I'm not saying that you know that only should happen once. But uh, yeah, I mean, I read some articles on this, and it is generally thought that people uh, going into second weddings uh, are much less likely to have a registry at all. They can also often be in different positions in their life, and there are lots of lots of lots of things that go. I mean, this just seems like—is this really the hill that you want to fight and die on? Definitely not. Definitely not the hill to fight and die on. Yeah, Uh, I just mentioned that because we were like halfway through the podcast, we hadn't mentioned death yet, so I had to squeeze it in somewhere. (laughs) Good lord, we've been talking about death so little lately; it's really distressing to me. You got another question for us? Not really. No, I'm too busy contemplating which hill I will fight and die on. I mean, at some point, Hank, there is a case to be made that, like, you know, I always say to you when we have private conversations that aren't podcasts, I always say to you, is this the hill you want to fight and die on? Um, That's like one of my sayings to you. But it it does occur to me that... um, I'm basically saying that there's never a hill that you want to fight and die on. And maybe there should be. Maybe there should be a hill somewhere. I'm just not sure it's the second wedding gift hill. I definitely think it's not that hill. Uh, but I, I also think that, that uh, we all have to die someday. So it might as well be fighting on a hill. I'm going to, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to keep my eye open yeah, for gotta, what is the hill right, I want to yeah, fight absolutely. and die on. Uh, but don't die, though. All right, Hank, we have a question from Jacob who writes, Dear John and Hank, why have there been so many celebrity deaths this year? Or are there the same amount of celebrity deaths and I'm just paying attention more? I think that there have not been more celebrity deaths than there usually are. Uh, but that we are all paying more attention. I think that the internet is very uh, 
death focused? The internet is kind of like focused on death as a social activity or mourning as a social activity. Um, and I think that that causes every few days the death of someone to appear on the trending topics of Twitter and, and the front pages of our Facebooks. And I think that is the difference. I do not think that 2016 has been an unusually fatal year uh, for celebrities or, or anyone else. I think that uh, you, life is really defined by uh, death and that it is always with us and that we have just noticed it a little more in 2016. I'm glad to see other people coming around to my lifelong ceaseless awareness of the temporariness of all human endeavor. <laughs> That's all I can say about it. Uh, and I, I have nothing to say about it because I simply do not know. Uh, it would be interesting to see a statistical uh, analysis. There are certainly outliers in any uh, in any stochastic system, and the deaths of people uh, would be one of those, especially well-known people, which is a much smaller group of folks than just humans. Um, <clears throat> I do want to say that uh, in the movie Deadpool, uh, there is a, a death pool where people bet on when people are going to die. And on that yeah. chalkboard in the bar where Deadpool hangs out, yeah. there are a number of references to folks. Uh, and uh, Ryan Reynolds and, uh, and uh, I think... So, so there's uh, Ryan Reynolds uh, is the pick of John... And then right under John, it says Hank, uh, who was who has uh, picked uh, T.J. Miller. And many people have guessed that uh, this is, in fact, a reference to Hank and John Green of the Vlogbrothers, who are us. Uh, and I, I'm looking at a, uh, a, an AV Club article about that very thing. And it says, while unlikely, those... While it seems unlikely, those names are a reference to John and Hank Green of the Vlogbrothers. Wait, while it seems unlikely, they're saying it as if it's a reported fact? According to the AV Club. According to whom? I mean, did the AV Club, like, interview the production designer? I don't know. It says it on the AV Club, so it's, there, there it is. Well, I, I would be delighted um, to be on a chalkboard in the movie Deadpool. That would really, that stands right up with winning the Prince Award in 2006 in terms of my, my lifetime accomplishments. And let's, let's, let, let us not forget uh, be having the highest possible score at Wii Tennis. Yeah, I also, uh, I also am one of the five best Aero Fighters players on Earth. It's, uh, it's good to pick esoteric things to be good at because there's no competition. Oh, that is really the key in my experience. Okay, here's another question for you from Kate, who asks, Dear Hank and John, mosquito season is starting in New York, and it seems that there are few things more startling and annoying than the sudden high-pitched buzz of a mosquito in your ear in the middle of the night. Do you have any dubious advice about how to block out this sound while sleeping, but also in a way that doesn't overheat you and lets you uh, hear the alarm clock in the morning? I realize that this problem is more of a nuisance, but it sure would be nice to get some anxiety-free sleep. That sounds awful. I moved to Montana. Are you serious? I, oof. Well, you guys also have mosquitoes in Montana. I've seen them. They're the size of, we, like, small cars. Yeah, but they can't fit into the house. That's true. It's hard to get them in the house. Uh, they've got to try to, like, they've got to try to, like, go in sideways. Um <laughs> So, Kate, this is a nuisance for you, but it is for many people much more than a nuisance because of, of malaria and other mosquito-borne diseases, uh, including the Zika virus, which may be a problem in the United States uh, in the next few years. Um, I recommend a bed net, which does not overheat you. 
and still lets you hear the alarm clock. Uh, bed nets are great. I recommend a bed net treated with insecticide. Yeah, the, those do work, and they are available. Um, I am so happy that that has not happened to me in a long time. And I do remember back when we lived in Florida that that would happen sometimes, or you know, certainly at summer camp. Um, and just, oh, that noise. It is the worst. And they come right at your ear. I don't know why they do it. But I had a, I had literally this week had a dream about that sensation, uh, and it woke me up. I uh, I have no affection for mosquitoes whatsoever. Hank, is there a reason why we can't just eliminate the mosquito as a species from the planet? Like we've been so incredibly successful at eliminating lots and lots and lots of species from the planet. Why can't we just turn our like human species killing instincts toward the mosquito? You know, we did a SciShow episode on that very topic recently. Uh, and it turns out that it's, it's complicated, but that people do want to do it. And, uh, and, you know, scientists say that, like, there, there will be ecological consequences, but they probably won't be as significant as you might think. And it would be such a huge public health win. There are, it's worth being said, hundreds of different species of mosquito. There's not just a, a mosquito and that's that. Uh, so that makes it a little more complicated. But uh, there are, there are uh, people who have ideas for how to eradicate particularly the, uh, the the few species, relatively few species of mosquito that carry the most dangerous diseases. So um, that's something that we're looking into. Actually, I, I, I think that uh, malaria is one of the problems with malaria is that it's, it's uh, carried by a lot of different mosquitoes. But like uh, Zika, I know, is only carried by two. Uh, anyway, we are so far outside our area of expertise right now, Hank, uh, pretending to be etymologists or entomologists, not etymologists. Those are people who study the history of words. Uh, Entomologists, whatever. We're so far outside of our expertise that I literally don't even know what I would call myself if I were an expert in this subject. You know, John, I have a question here that is kind of an etymology question. Should we ask that question? Great. Yes. It's from Zoe, who asks, Dear Hank and John, my colleagues and I noticed a confusing issue with Microsoft Word this week and haven't been able to come up with an answer. Seeing as we've progressed so far with data storage, like it's all on the cloud now anyway, why is the save icon still a picture of a floppy disk? Are there any computers left in the world with a floppy disk? Do kids born in the late 90s even have any idea what that is? I'm finding it difficult to understand why there aren't more people confused by this. Yeah, no, I don't disagree with you, Zoe. Um, I think the reason that it's still a floppy disk is that we have sort of uh, internalized that as what uh, saving looks like. I don't think that people still think about floppy disks, at least the, uh, what, what was, the, there was like a five inch one that was actually floppy that we had when I was a child with like the Apple IIc, and then they came out with those like three inch floppy disks that were not floppy, they were hard, but they were still called floppy disks. Which is an excellent example of the very thing that is happening here, which is that the words start to mean different things as the things that we need words for change. Like right. cut and paste. And the same we is say true cut of and images, paste yeah. when, when, we're, when we mean control C, control V. And we say floppy disk when in fact it is a hard disk. It just uses the same technology as the old floppy disks. Um, right. So your so so the save icon now has come to mean save a floppy disk an image of a floppy disk is now the image of what saving looks like uh, at least in Microsoft Word 
Certainly not on a Mac. So maybe maybe that won't that one won't stick around. But all words have context, and all the symbols that we use have context that's deeper than what um, than what we associate with them now. Uh, so it's just it's it's all of human history getting getting bound up and and hidden in the you know the current expression of of our you know our language and our culture that we have at this particular moment in time. Hank is such a good entomologist. Um, <laughs> the only other thing I'd like to say about this is that Hank, we've talked before about how incredibly bad I am at predicting the future. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. And so the answer to the question, does anyone? still have a floppy disk slot is yes, because I still have one uh, on a computer that I've kept continuously running since about the year 2002. And and on that computer, it has all of the outdated technology that I believed would last forever. <laughs> um, the 3.5-inch the, the uh, floppy disk, uh, the CD drive. In fact, I remember when uh, Mac first released a computer that didn't have a uh, CD drive mm-hmm. on it. I remember saying, well, that's ludicrous. You can't have a computer that doesn't have a CD-ROM drive. Oh, man, I said that. Here I am holding a computer that doesn't have a CD-ROM drive. I'm so bad at predicting I the said future. that about floppy disks. When, when, Mac, when Apple first released a computer that didn't have a floppy disk drive, I was like, no one is going to buy that. It doesn't have a floppy yeah. drive. How, are you, how am I going to install Simant on that computer? Exactly. Well, soon they're going to be releasing computers that don't have screens or even uh, microchips. And instead, <laughs> it's just, uh, you know, like a small piece of plastic that's uh, 3D printed, and then they uh, shoot it up your nose, and it just uh, merges with your brain. That's, uh, yeah, that, absolutely. It's right right around the corner. Anyway, Zoe, the answer to your question is that, to me, the floppy disk uh the continued use of floppy disks is the hill that I have chosen to fight and die on. I'm going to use them forever. I will never give up on floppy disks. What a fantastic technology. This video is brought to you by floppy disks. Floppy disks. Video? There's, oh, shoot. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast is brought to you by floppy disks. Floppy disks. They hold very little information and aren't even floppy. And yet somehow I have decided to cast my lot with them for the remainder of my life. This video is also brought to you by the empty row in front of you. The empty row in front of you now, as decreed on this very podcast, yours for the taking. This podcast is additionally brought to you by that gravy boat that you didn't want but got at your wedding. What is that for? Why don't I just put that in a bowl with a spoon? And I actually quite like my gravy boat, and I don't appreciate you talking bad about them because I believe I bought your gravy boat at your wedding. I could not tell you. And lastly, this podcast is brought to you by Pizza John. Pizza John, interrupting romantic encounters since 2009. (laughs) Beautiful, John. Beautiful. Thank you so much. This episode of Dear Hank and John is brought to you by ZocDoc. Look. There are, I think it's fair to say, some imperfections in the American healthcare system, but there are ways that it actually has recently gotten easier. I don't compromise on a lot of things, but I do not love feeling like I can't find the right doctor for me. And I've gotten very lucky that I have found some good doctors for me. When it comes to your health, there shouldn't be compromise. 
Don't go back to that one doctor who uses your appointment to catch up on the latest headlines slash their family group chat slash their crossword puzzles just because they're available right now or they happen to take your insurance. Instead, like you don't have to keep going back to a doctor who you don't like. You can check out ZocDoc, a place where you can find and book doctors who make you feel comfortable, who listen to you, who prioritize your health. And you can search by location, availability, and insurance type. So literally, no compromises. Because with ZocDoc, you've got more options than you think. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. Once you find the doc you want, you can book them immediately. No more phone calls and waiting on hold with a receptionist. We don't have time for this anymore. And these doctors all have verified reviews from actual, real patients. Booking appointments with tens of thousands of top-rated, patient-reviewed, credible doctors and specialists. The typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between 24 and 72 hours. That's it. You can even sometimes score same-day appointments. Go to ZocDoc.com slash DearHank and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then you can book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash DearHank. ZocDoc.com slash DearHank. Every time I know it's coming, and I'm like, I'm going to have to say ZocDoc.com right now, aren't I? And then I do. I'm getting good at it, everybody. ZocDoc.com. Uh, Hank, we've got to move on to the news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon. But of course, there is no news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon. So instead, this is the part of the podcast where me from the future will magically appear to tell you what happened in AFC Wimbledon's playoff semifinals. <laughs> Hank, moments ago, literally moments ago, AFC Wimbledon in extra time at Accrington Stanley won uh, 3-2 on aggregate. They tied 2-2 on the night. They were down uh, 2-1. Everything was darkness. It looked like they weren't going to be going to Wembley, that their season uh, was going to be over, but that is not what happened? Instead, what happened is that Autobio Akinfenwa scored a beautiful Autobio Akinfenwa, beautiful headed goal uh, in the second half, and, and that sent the game to extra time. And then in extra time, there was an amazing run. I don't was it Rigsy? I don't even remember who made the run. Somebody made the run. I think it was Rigsy. Uh, the goalkeeper made a great save, but who was there to put back? Uh, the ball into the back of the net, but Lyle Taylor, the Montserratian Messi, the Messi from Montserrat with an amazing goal. Uh, Wimbledon in extra time, go to the playoff finals. I'm going to Wembley, Hank. I don't, I, I don't know how yet. Uh, I, I haven't figured out the, the exact mechanics through which I'm going to be able to uh, go to the Indy 500 and to Wembley, but I'm going. I'm going to figure that out as soon as I stop recording this podcast. So the news from AFC Wimbledon is that everything is beautiful. Nothing hurts. AFC Wimbledon uh, going to Wembley uh, where they will play Plymouth Argyle uh, at Wembley. A one-game playoff. Uh, the winner goes to League One. Uh, unbelievable. <laughs> Hank, can you believe that incredible drama? Can you believe the either good or terrible news? <laughs> I cannot believe it, John. I also feel like we went into it a little early, but maybe not. No, we didn't. Oh, oh I guess not. Oh, we've been going for a long time. Whoa, yes. whoa. Oh, geez, I had no idea. Well, yes. uh, I'm very excited for your news or possibly devastated by your news. Me too. I have never been so happy and or devastated. All I can say is that this either was a great season for AFC Wimbledon, and I'm so proud to be a sponsor of their team, or 
This continues to be an amazing season for AFC Wimbledon, and I'm so proud to be a sponsor of their team. Well, that's that's the right way to look at it, John. Either way, you you and your team have done great things this season, and I heart it. Well, I'm so glad that it's uh, made you happy because um, just as a reminder, uh, you, you do pay for part of the sponsorship. Yes, John, AFC Wimbledon is bay. Is what? Bay. Oh, is that one of those internet words that I've seen, but I don't know how to pronounce? <laughs> yeah, I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. <laughs> oh, man. You're such an etymologist. Um, <laughs> Hank, before we get to uh, what we learned for today, I just want to uh, include one response that was sent in by Tessa, uh, who wrote, Dear John and Hank, I was just listening to episode 43 where you talk about compliments. I am currently seven months pregnant, so I am something of an expert in receiving quote-unquote, compliments that make me uncomfortable. Hank, it is so true. I I, I don't know if we've talked about this on the podcast before, but people are terrible at complimenting pregnant people. (laughs) You look... You're huge! You're so small! Yeah. Uh, She writes, People tell me I look small, big, uncomfortable, tired, and like I'm due any day now. I'd like to offer some dubious advice on doling out compliments that I think you may have missed. One, please compliment people on things they have chosen. Clothes, hairstyle, possessions. Not on physical features they have no control over. Skin color, shape, size of body. Two, if you must comment on someone's physical appearance and you don't, it is always acceptable to say nothing. Say, you look great with no qualifiers at the end, like, for how pregnant you are. Pro tip, speculating on when a pregnant person is due is an indirect comment about their size. So if you're interested, try asking instead of guessing. <laughs> Tessa, where's your podcast? Yeah, that's, that's uh, a, we should have you I'd on as a guest. To that. Thank you for the great advice, Tessa. You look fantastic. <laughs> no qualifiers. So, Hank, what did we learn today? We learned that it is indeed the Berenstain Bears and not the Berenstein Bears, and that possibly this is evidence of a parallel universe that we exist inside of. I mean, I'm going to say that that's not likely, but I guess it's possible. Uh, (laughs) We learned that uh, whether to buy a uh, second wedding present is perhaps not the hill to fight and die on, uh, because that hill... Is I actually forgot what my hill was, Hank. What was my hill that I was going to fight? <laughs> what was your hill? Oh, the floppy, oh, disc, the floppy hill. disc. Of course. Yeah. What a what a brilliant decision by me. I have cast my lot with a technology that shall never age. And John, we also learned that AFC Wimbledon is either going to the playoff final or not. But we definitely learned one of those two things. <laughs> I also learned whether or not I'm going to London on May 30th. Um, oh yeah. And lastly, we learned that if you can't get dubious advice from Dear Hank and John, there are lots of other places on the internet where you can find dubious advice. First and foremost among them, Yahoo Answers. Oh Yahoo. Oh Yahoo Answers. <laughs> so good. Never stop answering. Never stop answering. Long may you answer. Thank you for listening to this podcast called Dear Hank and John. I'm Hank Green. That other guy is John Green. This podcast is edited by Nicholas Jenkins. Our intern is Claudia Morales. We get lots of question help from Rosiana Hulse Rojas. You can email us at hankandjohn at gmail.com. Uh, you can also send us questions uh, via the Twitter where I am Hank Green. Nope. 
I get that wrong every time. I do not know my own name. Where I am John Green, Hank is Hank Green. You can use the hashtag Dear Hank and John. Thank you again for listening. Our theme music, by the way, Gunnarola. Forgot about that. Thank you again for listening. As we say in our hometown, don't Don't forget forget to be awesome. awesome.